What is up, motherfuckers? Welcome to this latest episode of Fuck This Week. Um, this is, uh, if you're just tuning in for the first time, uh, it's uh, sort of like the, these are little mini episodes where I just sort of talk to myself and try to make sense of the senseless uh, of the the stories that we've got through uh, through through each of these each of these weeks. Feel like we're scraping further and further. Through the barrel and into the basement and just like, do you know what I mean? Like when when it started going a bit haywire in 2016, I think we all thought, well, this has been a bit of a weird year. Anyway, can't wait until 2017 comes up. In fact, like I even remember people saying shit like that. Like, well, it's been a hell of a year, but oh, I'll kiss goodbye to 2016 with a smile on my face. Oh, fuck this year. And now here we are. <laughs> Five years later, and we've graduated from fuck this year to, like, fuck this week. Um, you know, I thought we'd turn a new page at the end of 2016. But no, actually, shit has got worse, more compressed and more frequent. So, um, yay. Yay for Britain. Um, on that cheery note, uh, welcome to this uh, to this episode. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about a few of the news stories that have come out, um, as I say, like the last few days. Um, I've been listening to a lot of conservative radio this week. Um, you know, it's very important to broaden your horizons and to hear things from the other side and, you know, get other people's point of view to so as to enrich your understanding of not just the issues that people are talking about, but also where other people are coming from to understand their idiocy on a, on a deeper level. Like, it's, it's fine to call people an idiot if, if, if they've been an idiot, but to understand where their idiocy is rooted from is the real challenge and that is the, that was the challenge i set myself at the beginning of the week so i've been listening to julia hartley brewer and there's a guy on in the morning on talk radio called uh called james max i think uh i tried to ring tried to get through to him this morning and i got through to the switchboard but um uh i didn't get on because we'll, i'll talk about that in a minute but uh it's nothing too salacious it's just uh, a legal thing i couldn't really name the company that I wanted to talk about and without naming them, then my point of view would have like, it wouldn't have made any sense. So, uh, so I didn't get on, but, um, but be that as it may, I've been listening to, to talk radio and, uh, marveling at the, uh, the, the cretiny, the relentless, steadfast cretiny that they willfully wheel out <laughs> every morning. It's really quite something. I mean, to be, to, to run a radio station and have a few idiots working for you, I imagine, is quite annoying. I imagine that's what, like, being the controller of Radio 1 is like. You know, you're just surrounded by kids and, like, oh, yeah, I'll see you on my show tomorrow. Oh, can I put that person? Yeah. Oh, have, have you checked out this? Oh, it's straight in at number two. I love this song. You know, secretly, you're, you know, you're some 37-year-old Radio 1 controller going, oh, I fucking hate my life. I hate these kids. I just, I just want to go to a Natalie Merchant gig. I don't want to be sat in here pretending i'm cool with the you know 24 year old children hosting how are 24 year old children hosting national radio what the fuck have i done with my life you know like that sort of vibe i imagine running a radio station is quite frustrating there's always going to be idiots but to, to run a radio station whose usp appears to be we have the idiots we maybe it's a freak show i don't know maybe it's like you know some millionaire at the top around a circular table is invested in this thing like let's see how many fucking dickheads we can get on the air before we lose our license you know is it a bet is it all just some cruel bet 
Um, so Julia Hartley Brewer was on there this week. She was uh, opining about uh, she doesn't she doesn't care about how many people die, how many people are hospitalised, how many people are riddled with long COVID. This poor woman was like on the phone to us saying, you know, we might have to consider another lockdown if hospitalizations continue to soar. If people like if, if the deaths go back up into the hundreds that and this the whole time this woman was talking, Julia Hartley Brewer was like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Like, like really callous non-journalism. You know, she's not sat there listening to the argument. She's not asking for more information like, oh, that's an interesting perspective. How did you reach that conclusion? You know, she's she's just like, I don't care. Me personally, I don't give a fuck if your gran, sister, dad and the person that cuts your hair, if they all snuff it from COVID. I want to have the freedom to swan about London, going to whatever weird satanic fucking underworld parties I go to to drink virgin blood like that is pretty much her, her thing I mean look nobody's suggesting that she genuinely goes to underworld parties and drinks the blood of virgins um uh I mean she probably does she probably she seems like the kind of person that would, she's just got that vibe you know she's just got that sort of she wears a little pearl necklace she's super conservative like high high chest line like neckline thing like never any you know cleavage on sh like she's just she's so uptight like tightly wound conservative with a small c if she was american she'd be one of these people that, that sat on like the parish like of a baptist church and you know never put a foot wrong and criticized and she'd be anti-abortion and you know like that type of person but then it's always that type of person that's secretly up to some fucking shady shit you know like i always i always had this mentality of you can have your vices but you because like you're always going to have your vices right so if you're one of these people who opines and emphatically demonizes other people for their vices you know whether it's that they like drugs or that they visit prostitutes or that they you know do god knows what if you're somebody that judges people out loud stands up on a pedestal behind a podium and says like these people are disgusting they're a blight on our society i can almost guarantee you've got some shit fucking under the covers there like it's you know it's like the, the sort of equivalent of a priest who 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 preaches and judges and then it turns out that he's fucking all the choir boys you know i get that sort of vibe like obviously she's not a priest and she's not a man so chances are she's not like some sort of weird pedophile but that's why i'm leading into the drinking virgin but i could see her <laughs> i could fucking she's that sort of person she just is i can you know some you're not supposed to judge a book by the cover but sometimes the draw like the illustrations on the front cover of a book are so fucking accurate that you can draw a fairly solid conclusion from the front cover of a book and when i see the front cover of that book i think how is this book not titled the cunt that drinks the blood of virgins it's just she's she's perfectly typecast is all i'm saying if they make a movie of the book she's in the lead role all right that's all i'm saying um so I've been I've been listening to, to Julia Hartley Brewer and yeah, she came off unsurprisingly just as callous as I had imagined she would do. Um, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of talk about shirking lockdown, a lot of talk about, um, you know, her freedoms and libertarianism. Um, uh, there was a guy on the the other morning, James, this James Max guy, and he was 
talking about refugees coming across the the, the river uh, across the channel sorry uh and he was saying that for a, like, a huge majority of the british public do, do, like he had, he had a representative from amnesty international you can't i don't think you can get nicer people than amnesty international and he has a rep from them on his show and they're basically saying very cool-headedly explaining to him uh why we have to take refugees in and thank god that guy was on there and not me or any normal person because any normal person who had to explain and re-explain and paraphrase and endlessly just say the same shit and explain stuff to people like this guy like yes we have to take refugees no we can't back out of it we've signed international agreements to say that we will do they are legally binding it's international law no it's not just us it's like france germany like we the the amount of refugees that we take in are dwarfed by the numbers that these other countries take in so we're not just being saddled with loads of asylum seekers while everyone else just doesn't have to like this guy was being really patient he didn't have that tone at all he was like well the thing is is um uh, you know, we've signed these agreements and, uh, you know, you could try to get the other countries to come to the table and renegotiate. You know, he's sort of being very measured and consultative about it and laying out the options. But but ultimately what he's doing is he's explaining why we have to have, why we have to offer safety, refuge to refugees, um, to this fucking talk radio host. And the talk radio host goes, well, you know, the majority of the British public um, are fed up with this. You know, they don't want any more uh economic migrants and so what you're saying is that we just have to put up with it and the guy from amnesty international just goes no no that's that's really not what i'm saying at all i'm saying we've signed an international agreement it is the legal thing that we have to do and it's the moral thing that we have to do as well you know um these people are not economic migrants they're desperate they're fleeing chaos and war and oftentimes it's wars and chaos that we've created so we have a responsibility it's the moral and the legal thing to do and then anyway so once he's explained all this shit cool-headedly to this guy then then the host just goes well it's a view i suppose <laughs> like, it's just like what the fuck are you talking about it's a view like you said you said to him why do we have to take all these people? He's explained it with clarity, perfect clarity, why we have to take these people uh, and give them refuge, offer them a place to stay, make sure that they're safe and secure. Uh, and then you just, oh, well, it's of you. Like, like it was, it was maybe a hair's breadth away from him saying like, oh, well, if you say, if you really say so, you know, it's like so petulant and non-intellectual and you know it, it's it's so the opposite of journal i think that's what gets me about this shit it's like you can be an opinion easter you can get on twitter and fucking rant and rave about how you hate refugees or whatever but to be given a show on national radio that's supposedly in like you know news journalism and then to just box up fact as like oh well Yes, you know, well, like not even really acknowledging it, just like, get a break, you know. It's like, like the same tone as like you or I would when you get to the end of an argument with your wife, you know. Like she's, she's just talked your head off and like made you realize how wrong you are, but you don't want to admit that you're, oh whatever. <laughs> it's like, 
Oh, I don't know. It's so so dismissive. Um, I mean, I it's the it's the it's the refugees that I feel the most sorry for, unsurprisingly, because what are we like two or three weeks ago since the implosion of Afghanistan, and it was all over the news, and everyone felt so bad and so shaken by the news stories and the footage, people falling off planes, people um, desperate, people having to leave members of their own family just to be guaranteed that they could get somewhere else and be safe because, I don't know, they had been an interpreter or they had served a security on the British embassy or something. They just had to grab a bag and fuck off. And they're checking the sun. They're checking Sky News. They're like, wow, this Britain place seems really friendly. Like, they're all really cut up and the polls are shifting and saying how much they love. And then after, what, two, three weeks has it taken? They fucking, you know, clamber across Europe or get off the plane or, like, go on a boat across the channel. They're like, I, I really think Britain's going to be really loving and compassionate for us. They get out at Dover. It's like, no, mate, fuck off. You, we, 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 were, we were sad for you when you were over there. That sadness lives exclusively in Afghanistan. When, <laughs> but once once you come over this way, no, don't get it twisted. We will harpoon your fucking dinghy. You are like, no, like we feel bad for you when you're there, when you're here. Uh, uh it's straight into some disused army barracks with no facilities, no like nappies, no soap, no. You know, it's so dark and and so weird and hypocritical and um, paradoxical. Like how we can shift on the news agenda from being like oh my god it's so terrible have you seen the images have you seen the videos it is absolutely heartbreaking what is happening to those poor families over there hey did you see a couple of them just rocked up in dover oh well fuck them no set fire to them no 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 we're not having that here i'm sorry no um it's just it's so depressing um it, the other story that they that they did um was it was about KPMG, right? And this is the one I phoned up for because uh, I used to work at KPMG and I'm sure they probably don't listen to this podcast because out of the, you know, 100 or 200 people that tune, in, tune into any given episode, uh, you know, the chances are quite pretty minimal that one of those would be working at KPMG. Um, but I don't give a fuck. I'll, I'll just tell you my experience from when I worked there, right? And as far as I'm concerned... This is my lived experience, all right? You can say it didn't happen. You can, you know, you can deny it or, or call me bitter because I left. I, I basically left there before I was going to be fired. Uh, so you need to understand the full context and, and that's fine. You believe what you like. But this is honestly, you know, when people say, um, you just got to speak your truth, you know, like that vibe. I'm speaking my truth, right? This is what, this is what I, I had when I was there. So the, the news story on talk radio was about KPMG. And they've announced this initiative that they want a third of their workforce to have come from working class backgrounds. All right. Let that sink in for a minute. They want to mandate that 29 or 30 percent of their workforce should come from backgrounds where they can qualify that your mother or father or both uh, had a job from this selected list of apparently working class jobs. So your dad would have to be a postman or your mum would have to be a plumber or, you know, like whatever. They've decided a few working class jobs and, and this is their way of approaching classism, right? And so talk radio's angle on this. You would, you would think from a news perspective, from a journalist's perspective, that what they would do is they would 
you know, it's an interesting story. So you can ask questions around it, right? You could say, how are you going to monitor this? Is this, uh, is this rooted in um, an embarrassment? Like, do you feel like KPMG are too white or too middle class? Or, you know, is, is there other routes that you explored before you decided on this one? Um, is it, is it is there a danger that by mandating this you're going to lose out on the best candidates because that's a valid concern you know what if if you say i have to have 30% working class what if you get another candidate after that who is perfect for your role are you going to say no you know and then you end up with a substandard candidate and workforce that you then have to sell out to clients you know it's like there's there's questions that you could ask around this journalistically but what do you think the question was that they asked on talk radio. This is, it's so, it's so talk radio and like right wing. And, you know, like I, I described it on a TikTok this morning as, you know, it's if, if you describe talk radio as right leaning, that is a generous way of describing it because really what it is, is flag wanking brain bin. Like that's, that's what talk radio is. It's, it's a flag wanking brain bin that tired lorry drivers and people like me knackered fathers get in their car in the morning drive to the gap and they just shove it on and it's just cancer it's like oh why the fuck am i listening to this vitriol and and hate like coming out of my speakers bleeding into my brain and just just disrupting my thoughts and feelings and emotions for the first like, that's how i start my day um uh but anyway they're <laughs> The, the flag wanking brain bins angle of this was uh, not any of the questions that I asked a minute ago. It was, um, is this reverse snobbery? <laughs> is this, is, is trying to hire more working class people reverse snobbery? That was the angle. Now, I think talk radio have got a lot of fucking balls putting a topic like that out with that angle on it. Because... This presenter, this James Max guy, I googled him afterwards, and yes, he's privately educated. So he's come up the, you know, through private school, and he's gone to some university, and then he's got, you know, an internship, and he's gone to, he's ended up on talk radio after, you know, a no doubt illustrious, very rewarding career being a journalist in probably a couple of tabloids or a broadsheet. Um, and now he's on talk radio. So his life as a as a middle class person that was privately educated has served him incredibly well. And now he's on there wondering if, oh, well, maybe this is reverse snobbery. <laughs> you know, it's like, like, if you gave jobs to 30% working class kids uh, and he thinks that there's some sort of bias or prejudice there, like, oh, you're being, you're being prejudiced towards middle class. But, well, like, since when did talk radio or... Or, or this guy, or like any of these right-leaning pundit fucking wank socks. When did they ever start a sentence with like, yeah, we need to talk about bias. We need to talk about prejudice, guys. Uh, you know, there's a lot of prejudice out there and we should really address it. I'm going to talk about that on my show tomorrow. How can we fix prejudice? No, they never fucking do that. What they do is they they wait for something like this to come along and then they they cherry pick a, a, um, uh, a sort of... A, a way of discussing this shit but they cherry pick a, a sort of left-leaning approach to it where it's like well you know the left are always talking about bias and prejudice well 
This, to me, sounds slightly prejudiced. What do you guys think? Call me now on 0344, blah, 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 you know? So, I mean, I laughed out loud when he said reverse snobbery because it's like, you know, if if you're if you really are looking at this like you're being attacked, like you're a middle class guy and you're worried that your son Hugo is, you know, he's gone to private school and it's a feeder school for Oxbridge. So you, he's all set up to go to Oxbridge. And then when he gets out of Oxbridge, guess what? He's going to do an internship. And a lot of the working class kids, they can't afford to do internships because they're fucking broke. But the middle class kids, the Oxbridge kids, their mums and dads are directors and fucking consultants and lawyers. And they pay for the kid to jump on the train every single day and go into the offices of the Times or the Telegraph or wherever. Uh, and they pay for their lunch every day. And then they're not starving and they can work their way up and they get they get to meet people. And then they get hired as a junior researcher in the sun or, or something. And that's how it works. And that's how it starts. And the cycle continues. Right. And this guy sat in talk radio, privately educated, wondering about reverse snobbery is actually worrying that his son going up that those channels is going to be sidelined, is going to be is going to suffer from some sort of bias or prejudice set up but it's like number one it's like 30 percent. you still got another 60 percent fucking advantage you dickhead like what the fuck are you talking about and number two it's like why why is it that when it's a an initiative to address inequality like this even modestly why is it suddenly then a talking point why is it not a talking point you know five years ago or 10 years ago, before the times when anyone was talking about unconscious bias um, and, and, and hiring processes and prejudices. It's so weird and transparent. It's like, oh, OK, yeah, let's let's talk about prejudice. Sure, sure. That's what you want to talk about. You fucking bellend. Um, is, I mean, is this reverse snobbery? Because personally, I think that's disgusting. That was literally his words. He's disgusted by reverse snobbery, not but but only by that very very specific sect of prejudices. Every other prejudice is fine, but when you that's when it gets too far. It's like you know I'm not really on board with racism and misogyny and and all that. But I tell you what, if you start if you start actioning some reverse snobbery, that aid is where I draw the line. That's when Mister Nasty comes out. Um. Anyway, I really feel like I've beaten that point into the ground now. Perhaps we should move on. I will say this for KPMG. Uh, when I was there, um, there were some dodgy things that happened that I still think about. Uh, but there were also some good things, you know. Like, I worked there, I think, 10 or 12 years ago, something like that. And uh, they were talking about unconscious bias before anyone else was talking about unconscious bias, in, in my memory. I don't remember that term in, like, my social periphery before the moment somebody told me about it at kpmg and then we all went to this sort of very corporate workshop and we learned about how like if you sit in an interview with someone and they're attractive you are infinitely more likely to like like them and employ them um and and you know the whole thing with unconscious bias right is that you like people like you so if i sit in an interview and there's somebody who sounds like me you know he's from southern england home counties uh, but he went to comprehensive school and he taught himself how to code. And like, I'm more likely to warm to that individual. Um, and that was something I, I learned there. And I'd never heard that before. Uh, and in the years immediately afterwards, it's only in the, the more recent years that uh, 
it's become a, a very sort of infamous or famous thing um so there was that that was cool um and they they said you know they talked a good game on diversity when i was there but i i remember walking you know floor to floor throughout canary wharf and it was full of white middle class men mostly apart from hr you know there was a few few women in the hr department but then it's like and, and the odd you know sort of uh woman consultant but for the most part very male dominated very white very middle class and they would give themselves a huge pat on the back they would fucking blow their own dicks about diversity if they hired a black guy or like an indian girl or you know like a real box ticking exercise but i always wondered like you know these people are not you're not like what what fucking problem are you solving if you hire a black dude whose parents were lawyers and then you hire an indian girl who went to an international school because her family are incredibly wealthy over in india like you've you've employed some different races and colors and creeds and that's great that's a step in the right direction for sure but you're not solving the fundamental issue of um you know giving people a shot who wouldn't have had a shot of of giving people a leg up you know like it, it should be class-based and that's to that extent i think maybe they do deserve some uh you know a round of applause for for at least trying to solve this issue and actually implementing an initiative um i don't know if it will be successful i'm hugely cynical about this sort of shit because it's like um what's the name of that issue uh not issue what's the name of that initiative that they put in uh in america where they mandated that you have to hire x number of black employees and the idea was that um even if the black employee wasn't uh, a perfect candidate for your role um societally it would be better because as black families started to be involved in the workforce more and get better jobs then um it was called something action affirmative action is that right um somebody will correct me on this i'm sure but basically the idea was you know if you've got um uh 10 candidates and nine of them are white and one of them's black and the black guy is just a little bit unsuitable compared to the best white guy there you still have to employ the black guy that's what i'm led to believe it was i don't know if that like i don't know an awful lot about this but that's my understanding of of it and it's mostly informed by fucking american history x and a chris rock stand-up routine so fucking go go me with my research but like um but it, I feel like, if, I mean, if indeed that was the uh, the mechanism that they were implementing in the States, I don't, I, I think that generated a lot of problems and a lot of resentment in people. Because imagine if you worked really hard and you went for a role and then you found out that the role had been given to somebody else who was less suitable purely on the basis of their background. Like you would be, I'd be pretty pissed off. And I it would take strength of character for somebody to say, I accept it on the basis that we do need to fix these problems in wider society. When you know that you've lost out maybe on a 20k pay rise or a 50k pay, you know what I mean? Like it's, it, it would really, <laughs> real, that would really smart, you know? Oh God, I really thought I was going to be able to get that fucking Porsche, but well, I'm just really happy for the, I'm so happy for that guy that got it. But, so I, I don't know if these initiatives are necessarily perfect for addressing 
the problems i mean really the issue is the feeder schools and the universities you need to pan out a little bit on these problems like it's it's great when uh corporate entities global conglomerates like kpmg get involved and try to take the lead and it's good for them from a pr perspective i think but uh really what you need is oxbridge to stop fucking taking the majority of their pupils from like two or three like big private schools you need them to just branch out and look at comprehensives across the country and lower the grades or also i don't know like but there's there has to be some way or, or even just stop fucking like the bbc or like lbc or, or whoever from just having interns from like two or three universities it's fucking stupid like i i accept that if you went to oxford and you studied pure maths or something you must be pretty clever great and you should have uh you should have opportunities in front of you but i refuse to believe that every guy that went through oxbridge and then went into an internship at the telegraph or the bbc or sky um that they are better suited or that they have some intellectual superiority over somebody that just went to a comprehensive went to a shit university and came out and then could actually go to that internship and and perform just as well if not better like i don't think there's a massive link between studying pure maths or history or politics at oxbridge and being an amazing journalist or being an amazing software engineer or you, do you know what i mean like it's i think most people if you put them in the right environment with an encouraging team leader or boss or whatever i think they could make the best of it um and boris johnson is a fucking testament to that like here's a guy who went through eton and oxbridge and um and then the telegraph and and so on the guy is fucking shit he's so incompetent and self-serving that are you really telling me that somebody that went through a comprehensive and a shit university couldn't have done a better job than him at the telegraph or as prime minister because i if if you think that i i don't know what to do with you um you are really through the looking glass if that is the case um anyway back to kpmg kpmg was fun man uh but here's here's some shit that happened while i was there so the unconscious bias thing uh was good um they asked me to do a um an assessment center they were short on graduates there's about 12 or 15 graduates that they wanted to hire something around that number uh, and so I had to run an assessment center. And if they want to hire 12 to 15 graduates, that means they have to interview three times that number. And it means they have to review the CVs of five, six, seven times that number, right? So you're talking about a, a hefty chunk of fucking young people. Um, and I mean, I could go off on a tangent here about the differences between like when you interview 40 year old software engineers and they don't get the job, they actually take it on the chin pretty well. They're like, Oh man. Ah, all right. Okay. Oh no, I understand. Fine. When you interview 23 year olds and they don't get the job, it is an affront to their ego. They've never dealt with such rejection before. And they have full on fucking meltdown. Like I had a guy on the phone. I was like, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't go off on a tangent about this, but basically he had a fucking meltdown on the phone to me. It was really awkward. Um, uh, but uh, anyway, it, it, let's, let's not go down that route guys. Cause it's just going to get, gonna get a little bit uh dark if we do that um i i'll stick on this assessment center story though uh because this director he goes yeah we need to we need to hire about 15 graduates and uh, i said okay is there any criteria that you want to that you want to stick to and he was like yeah i'll give you a list of universities that we take people from i'm like okay 
And now, like, I think back to that, I'm like, that feels shitty, you know? What if you went to a university, you worked your ass off, you got a first, but then it's just not on the list. But then they would take someone with a 2-2 from, like, Reading. Or, yeah, I don't know. There's something about that that just irks me. And then he said the thing that's really stuck in my mind ever since. He said, uh, he said, yeah, um, want to sort of even mix uh, men and women, but I don't want anyone over the age of like 27, 28. I was like, what? And he goes, he goes, yeah, I just think, you know, I just think it says something about somebody if they haven't got their shit together and by the time they're 30. And, and I'm like, you know, this guy's a director and he's telling me this shit. And I'm just some, you know, actually the irony is now I think about it, I was about, I think I was 26 and I was just in this dead end shit recruitment job, taking feedback from people and scheduling interviews. And he's just like sat there telling me with a straight face, oh, you know, if you haven't got your shit together by, you know, late 20s, 30s, uh, I don't know, may as well fucking seal you in a barrel and roll you off a pier. Fucking failure. <laughs> your father must be really disappointed in you, Aid. Now schedule these interviews. Like, <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I'll do it for you, Dad. I mean, Director Matey. Um, so yeah, he didn't want to. He didn't want to consider any graduates over the age of like you know 28. And 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 like now I think back to it, and it even bothers me more now because I didn't. I mean, I I've just mentioned like I didn't really have my shit together then, certainly. But uh, it was only when I was like 35 that I really started thinking, oh fuck, I actually need to sort my shit out, <laughs> and I started training and i started um waking up in the morning and you know 4am doing tutorials blah 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 um I, I you know and i managed to turn some shit around and i'm not saying that like you know toot your own horn i'm just saying that for many many people they light a fire under their ass when they become a parent or you know maybe their kids become of an age where they now they've got freedom to study and to progress their careers and so they're joining the workforce again at age 30 like but in this guy's mind he's just like nah fucking scrap heap fuck them like it was so narrow-minded and prejudiced and biased and all of these things that kpmg would absolutely uh, uh emphatically deny that they ever were um uh, especially with announcements like this you know this working class initiative uh but that was that was my experience of working there um uh, I mean, I will say this, and I think I alluded to this at the beginning of this uh, episode, that I was objectively shit at that job. Uh, so I appreciate that, you know, un like revealing some of this shit now is going to come off like some sort of embittered employee. And I get that. And that's fine. But um, but this is genuinely that that did happen. Um, anyway, um, oh, mate, I could talk for hours about recruitment scandals. I really could. One time I was working with an agency and uh uh the idea was right if you've never worked in recruitment how it works is you have a supplier list of like eight or nine different agencies now you're gonna have to stay with me on this so pay attention right you have eight or nine agencies and they all work the same role and they all submit two cvs each then i review them and i forward on the best four okay best five maybe and then the hiring manager, the guy who actually wants to hire someone, uh, he chooses the ones he wants to interview. And then we go on from there. Now, because everybody gets the role at the same time, 
it's fair in theory in reality what happens is agency a takes the manager out for drinks and then they go oh this has been really fun uh, john smith we should do this again sometime then they take john smith out for the weekend to ibiza or something oh bit of a burp there um and then you know they take him on a yacht and I don't know, maybe they 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 pummel him full of cocaine or, or hookers or whatever it is that they do to corporately charm him to bribe him right let's just call it a bribe uh, and in return he says yeah I've, you know i'm going to be hiring a few developers you guys you, you can have it exclusively if you want like so he gives them a heads up uh, gives them the cvs uh, not the cvs the job specs and then these guys go out and here's what happened right agency a go out into the market and they cover off every single java developer in london for this role <laughs> ahead of time before the role's been released they go out they anyone that's free or looking or i don't know whatever like they phone them up and they go yeah has anyone spoken to you about a job at um nuf bank or, or whatever right and then they go no no not yet and they go oh wicked okay well if anyone else phones you about a job at nuf bank just tell them that you're being represented by agency a and then you go yeah okay great um, and then you think, this sounds like a great role. I'm being put forward for this amazing role. Now, because they've got their heads up on it, maybe a week or two weeks in advance, and they've covered off all of these candidates, then the role comes to me and I release it. And it goes to all of the agencies, in quotes, at the same time. Now, agency B, C, D, E, and F go out into the market at that point and try and find candidates. And they phone around and they say, yeah, hi. Uh, is that John? Oh, great. Yeah, John, I've got a wicked role for you. It's at uh, NUF Bank. And John says, oh, man, no, I'm already being represented for that. I've been submitted. And they go, huh? It's literally just come out. And, and John says, yeah, I know. Well, I spoke to uh, Agency A already. And they go, that's weird because you're the 79th candidate that I've spoken to, John. And they all say they're being represented by NUF, uh, by Agency A. And like these, all of these agencies are scratching their heads going, how have they covered off, I don't know, 100 candidates, 200 candidates in an hour? It's only been live for an hour. Like, so obviously, you know, it's dodgy. It's shady as fuck. But here's the kicker. Here's the real nasty part of it. Because agency A can only submit two CVs or three CVs or maybe four CVs if someone like me is in a really good mood. Um. The other 96 people that they spoke to on the phone to say, just tell them that you, you're being represented by Agency A. Those other 96 people never had a chance. So even though they think that they're being submitted for this amazing role that they've been covered off for, uh, they, they don't even get submitted. They get thrown straight in the bin. They're just being covered off to remove them from the periphery of the other agencies. It's so cunty. It's like when... Um, it's like when uh, uh, record companies, right? I heard, I, I studied music industry management, so I know a little bit about this uh, at university. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of shit universities a minute ago, uh, I, let's just say I would never be asked to join the internship at the Telegraph. All right, I'm confident of that. Quick swig of beer. Um, the, it, it's, it, yeah, so it's the same approach that recruitment agencies do as record labels when um somebody told me this that this is what record labels do they will get band a and let's say band a are a new metal act right so singer's got dreadlocks they've got a turntablist 
but they're also like really metally rock guitars um and then they got a rapper sometimes but then the singer does like heavy metal singing right so you get the idea like corn let's say it's like corn and then another band comes out and the second band also have a singer with dreadlocks also have a turntablist and a rapper they got totally different songs and they don't even really sound like band a but they are a bit similar to them so here's what the record label do that's really cunty they sign band b just to remove them from the equation and then they go yeah we love your stuff here's a contract five album deal or whatever sign here and then they go oh my god we're gonna make it we've just been signed by sony or we've just been signed by b2 records or something and then meanwhile band a released their album go on to be big things and you know have a couple of hits and then band b are like when can we are we gonna release a single or what and they're like yeah yeah like, it's coming don't worry just sit tight and we're like oh really boring you know just hanging out not even really gigging anymore this is really I don't know why they've signed us because we're not really doing anything. And then suddenly it dawns on them. They're like, they just fucking signed us to remove us so that band A. And then they just, they go, ah, we'll change the direction. We don't really need a band like this anymore. I'm sorry, guys. Off you go. Like that, like they fuck them over so brutally that that, like that band could have had a, you know, a smash it single in the time. What do I sound like? Fucking like a smash it single, but they could have had a hit and, and an album to boot, but they were removed. They were silenced um so they wouldn't be competition and that's exactly what these fucking agencies did or this one particular agency who i probably should not name um anyway uh let's let's move on what else has happened this week um the ni hike that was a massive news story right um it's been it's it do you know what it's been such a fucking political earthquake that story um and also it's been really fucking funny for people like me because i like sometimes people when they follow my tiktoks and they they ask me questions in the comments and uh, occasionally on youtube um there's this idea this perception that i'm some sort of wannabe serious journalist and ultimately i'm really a piss taker at heart uh you know i do i like to sort of muse over things and psychologically examine ideas and uh you know and and explore things but if if i can find a funny way of communicating it instead of sounding intellectual i'd take the funny one any fucking day of the week um and this ni hike is i mean it's right it is upsetting because no none of us want to pay any more tax and if we do want to pay more tax we want it to be outlined in a clear concise and honest way right i we, i don't have any problem paying more tax if i know that it's going towards the thing that needs the money uh, and social care is obviously top of that list. Uh, my problem with it is the incompetence and the dishonesty. Like if you're going on the campaign trail and you either don't understand how the exchequer works, uh, but you're pretending that you do, that is a problem. That's where I get off the train. Uh, if you're going on the campaign trail and you understand how the exchequer works, but you but then you're pretending that it's all going to be fine, that you won't have to hike taxes, but actually, you know, then that is also a problem. Both of those types of politician are fucking gross. And there's not a lot of wiggle room for somebody like Boris Johnson or Rishi Sunak to pretend that they're not one of those two types of people. Um, so it's my issue is with, you know, if you're going to go on the campaign trail and say shit like, oh, same old Labour, you know, where's the money going to come from? The magic labor money tree. If you're going to say shit like that, 
you should have to be held accountable when your own foresight and forecasting and uh, economics is pulled to pieces and people are like, I thought you said there weren't going to be any tax hikes. Ah, I know, but you know, it's just the, it, it's like, that's my problem with it is that on the right, they look at this shit like, oh, well, everybody does it. They all, they all fucking lie, don't they? What are you going to do? On the right, they're very forgiving for somebody like Boris Johnson, his incompetence, his dishonesty. On the left, when they come out with a manifesto and they say, we might have to raise taxes. We might have to plug a gap for this social care stuff. Then on the right, then they're like, oh, bloody Labour. Look, Labour always raise tax. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, you, you can't fucking win. Um when when you're talking about tax hikes like this and with by like dishonesty and manifesto commitments um and this week has been oh fuck me this week has been a doozy for manifesto breaks uh it's been i mean what are we looking at now we're looking at uh well let's let's run through them quickly so they said uh i think it's 40,000 new nurses might have been 30,000 new nurses uh and no that's that's not happening they already pulled that apart this is a couple of months ago they were like how many of those are new nurses uh no fucking none <laughs> it's the same as like the, the police they're like twenty thousand new police officers oh oh really okay do you mean like on top of where we were in 2012 because it feels like you hacked away twenty thousand, and now you're committing to adding twenty thousand. <laughs> so are we going to be up at all no no so there's no new nurses no new policemen uh 50 new hospitals we're going to build oh like so 50 big brand new hospitals no no just uh you know it's a little nhs walking center actually all oh, right what about that one over there oh that's a that's a car park in a hospital yeah we're expanding it like what like where the fuck do they get off with these definitions like it's 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 so weird and disingenuous that it's just allowed you you're allowed to lie like this I don't know if it's like, is it that I'm getting older and I'm more exposed to it now or that I care more about politics or has it always been like this? Uh, have politicians been this flagrant and shit and dishonest? Because it feels like it's got way worse. I don't remember politicians lying so shamelessly like this back in the Blair years. But then I was a lot younger then and I was a lot more distracted by beer and vagina. Um, uh so yeah, so they've there's there's the police, the nurses, the hospitals. Um, then there was the triple lock pension, which was designed to keep in step with inflation. So your grand's pension would go up in line with inflation every year, so that oldies wouldn't get you know financially broke. Um, that's gone because <laughs> there's been an inflation problem the last year. So rather than you know grappling hold of the inflation problem, they're like, oh, I've ditched the fucking triple lock. That's way easier. Um, and now there's the the fucking tax hike. Uh, it's it's. I mean, a lot has been said over the last couple of days about why the fuck are working people having to pay to keep old people when old people voted against young people in the Brexit referendum and made it. it you know, I really think there is something to that. It's like you've got this whole generation of fucking boomers who are very happy to dismiss everyone's concerns when it's young people. It's just like, oh, you fucking young whippersnappers. You know, you just need to keep your head down, work hard, stop moaning, just like we did in our day. You know, like it's there's a real dismissive mentality, uh, at least in, in popular culture and, and journalism from that generation. Uh, and, and now uh, following that, 
there's this expectation that younger people who are all working are supposed to cough up more national insurance to keep these motherfuckers in a nursing home and keep them looked after. And there's a real uh, shitty, cunty part of me that wants to go like, like, you know, I thought I thought you said that, you know, you just keep your head down and work hard. I thought you said that, like young people just blow their money on fucking iPhones and Netflix and Deliveroo and shit. And actually, you know, if you just keep your head down and work hard, you too could have a roof of you. You know, I really just want to turn around and go like, stop blowing all your money on avocados, Gran, you dumb, daft bitch. Like it's it's there's a there's a real unresolved uh, petty part of me that is is like. I don't see why a generation who have uh, reacted to Brexit and uh, like youth unemployment and the housing crisis and, you know, pick pick any social issue that would require some input from the older generation. And at every single juncture, they have fucked us over. And so it's really difficult for people between the ages of like 16 and let's say 50. Um, to to really give much of a fuck and to to swallow this idea that we should be like oh i see well look who's come fucking crawling back looking for a roof over their head like I, and now you want me to cough up this extra mate well great I, I mean i suppose i have to right like we all have to um it's so i don't know look there's 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 a bit coming in from the right hand side of me that's just like mother fuck your grandma like did she vote brexit Okay, and did she did she help at all with the housing crisis? No. Okay. Well, tell her to go fuck herself. I'm sorry she's your gran. I'm sorry that you know. I'm sorry your grandmother's a cunt and doesn't care. I'm sorry that you love playing cards with her every Sunday. But also, it is exactly people like your grandmother who have consistently caused problems for younger people. Um, it's like you know to put it really crudely, it's a bit like. You know, imagine, imagine an old man just being like, housing crisis? No, well, you just got to stop, stop spending your money on fucking avocados and iPhones, you young whippersnappers with your fucking delivery. Like, why don't you ever just keep your head down, fucking work hard, just like I did, like that. And then when they vote for Brexit and then you lose your fucking job as like, I don't know, a fisherman or a car manufacturing, pl like that, granddad, my fucking livelihood is gone. What the fuck am I going to do? And then they're just like, oh, I, I don't know. But while we're on the subject of what am I going to do? What am I going to do about a nursing home? Could you foot the bill? Like, that's how it feels societally, generationally at the moment. Um, it's sad. I know it's sad. Uh, I mean, I don't really have any grandparents. I've always been light on grandparents. So maybe that's my callous, uh, you know, like it's not something that really affects me <laughs> massively. But I think, you know what, if I did have a grandmother or a grandfather... And they were like 90, 95 years old. And they were all fucking blighty, blighty, waving flags, harping on about how amazing Brexit is. I think I would probably fall out with them. And I probably would, you know, if it threatened my livelihood and I couldn't convince them that they'd done something wrong. And every time I complained to them about the price of houses, they just dismissed it as though not treating myself to an avocado on toast was the the problem like again it's just dismissiveness it's such it's such a flattering story to tell yourself if you're in the older generation that like rather than having to tell yourself oh shit i bought a house for five grand a few years ago and now it's worth eight hundred thousand pounds 
And all of that equity that I'm holding is the same equity that my son or my grandson is now being asked to front to get on the ladder. But I don't want to give that up. I'm a huge beneficiary of a wave of equity growth. But fuck everyone else. This is just me investing smartly. That's what it is. I'm an incredibly shrewd investor. Uh, you know, it, it, like you don't want to tell yourself the actual truth, which is, you know, I'm I'm a huge beneficiary. And actually, I, maybe I have some responsibility here to help the younger generation. <laughs> so they just sit on their fucking money. And then when, oh, I don't know. Do you know what? I'm boring myself going off on a rant about this, but you get my point. There's a real disconnect between the older generation and the younger working people. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't have a solution for it. Um, I thought COVID might actually help uh, solutionize that problem. Thought, you know, maybe there was some justice in the world. Like your grand's like, I'm sorry, you can't get on the ladder. I'm sitting on a fucking 900 grand pension pot right here this house that i shrewdly bought like meanwhile the son and the grandson are like uh-huh yeah yeah don't don't go out with your mask gran you're all right it's all right it's all a hoax maybe that's that's how the hoax shit started it's just like younger people it's always young it's always men about like 40 years old on the on the news as well that's where it started from we fucking figured it out there we go it's 40 year old men who are fed up of not being on the ladder trying to make it look like a hoax not wearing a mask so that then their mothers and fathers will be like oh well yeah hank says it's all a hoax so maybe i'll go out without a mask then they snuff it hank inherits the house boom we've cracked the case guys right on that note let's leave it uh i'm going to go in and check on my children and uh my girlfriend um thanks so much for uh for tuning in there will be another episode out next week and uh, hopefully i'll get a guest on again soon somebody to muse over uh, either the week's bits and bobs with or talk about tech and dystopia and politics and so on uh, if you do enjoy this shit make sure you like and subscribe i've got a patreon now and i'm going to start releasing episodes first to patreon supporters um uh, so that's coming in the coming weeks uh and i will catch up with you soon okay 